When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Helena Hart. Welcome to the Master Your Magnetism podcast, where I bring on top experts to shift your vibe and radiate self-love so you'll naturally become a match to the life and relationship you've always wanted. Today, I'm so excited to be talking with Robert Mack again. Welcome, and thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I absolutely loved the last episode we recorded together on how to handle feelings of loneliness. For those of you who aren't familiar with Robert, he's an Ivy League educated positive psychology expert, celebrity happiness coach, published author, and television host and producer. In addition to serving as a celebrity love coach on Famously Single on the E! Network, He's also worked as the on-camera expert for Mind Your Business on the OWN Network. His first book is called Happiness from the Inside Out, The Art and Science of Fulfillment. It's celebrity endorsed and critically acclaimed. And his most recent release, Love from the Inside Out, Lessons and Inspirations for Loving Yourself, Your Life, and Each Other is a bestseller. So I'm so excited for this topic, Robert. I did a poll recently over in the community tab on my YouTube channel. And the number one thing people said they wanted to learn more about is how to handle feelings of anxiety or uncertainty that come up from time to time in life or in relationships or dating. So I'm really looking forward to diving in. I have no idea what you're going to share here today, (laughs) but I'm so excited. Is there anything you want to say before we get started? Yeah, I I think um, anxiety is an experience that most of us are very familiar with, probably too familiar with. And I would say um, the only reason I talk about it is because I struggled with it for so long. Uh, So yeah, it's... um, something I would love all of us to experience less of, that's for sure. Absolutely. And I know you're an expert on how the brain works. For me, I just feel like when I get anxious about something, it just takes on a life of its own. And it just this momentum is building in the wrong direction. Have you experienced that as well? I'd love to hear sort of like how this works, how anxiety or uncertainty can get created and start to like take off. And it just feels uncontrollable sometimes, right? Absolutely. You know, I think um, you know, lots of, for lots of us, it starts in early childhood, um, sometimes in the womb. Um, and we can often uh, sort of pick up on the thoughts and feelings and emotions of other people. So we know emotional contagion and social contagion is very real. Um, and, you know, when you sort of um, complicate that or compound that with a nervous system that's maybe wired a little high. So some of us are wired a little higher for um, we'll call it anxiety or stress. And some of us are wired a little lower. It's really just a more active uh, nervous system. Um, and then you you know add to that that we're not really taught any skills um, for how to sort of you know reduce our anxiety or stress or eliminate stress or anxiety or regulate our emotion or be cognitively agile. Um, that can be a recipe and sort of a perfect storm for anxiety disorders and stress um, you know issues as you continue to age and get older and older. Um, we especially in addition to that live in a society where we're consistently sort of bombarded um, with information and with news and with lots of, um, at times, very entertaining distractions, other times, very stressful and anxiety provoking um, distractions. And when you've got that much sort of information and data 
uh, coming at you at all times and you're not taught how to emotionally regulate and you're not taught how to be cognitively agile and you're not taught how to self-soothe, you can find yourself drowning in a sea of stress and anxiety on a pretty regular basis. Uh, so yeah, you know, I think um, if I were to reduce it all down, you know, it's sort of a nervous system. So part of it is, of course, um, nature. And then part of it is just nurture, sort of the lack of learning real skills um, for how to emotionally regulate and remain cognitively agile and to self-soothe. I'm so looking forward to diving into all of that. What would the first step be for somebody who experiences anxiety? My audience on my podcast is mostly women, but definitely have some men listening as well. So this could probably work for anyone. I hear from a lot of women who get anxious in their love lives, specifically Mm -hmm. if they're feeling really attached to someone and they haven't heard from them in a while, or just experiencing general anxiety in any area of life. I'm sure you've worked with people in that situation. What would be like the first thing that you would have them do? Yeah, the first step is just to become aware of it. Uh, We um, live often large parts of our day or our weeks or our lives uh, unaware of the stress and anxiety that's always sort of bubbling there, sort of, you know, under the surface. So first is just to become aware of it and to become aware of it in a non-judgmental fashion. Uh, where you're not trying to do anything about it right away. You're not trying to get rid of it. You're not trying to delete it. You're not trying to replace it or reduce it or eliminate it even. You're just becoming aware of it without judgment and without trying to change or manipulate or get rid of any of it. Uh, That's sort of step number one or the first step. And part of that is just becoming more uh, sensitive to how you feel, you know, noticing how you feel just in general. So always keeping part of your attention inside yourself on this sort of emotional scale from sort of like, let's say zero to 10. Um, most of us only become aware of the stress and anxiety when it's already at a level eight or nine or 10. That's kind of too late to really intervene on your own behalf, at least in a productive way that's going to be very meaningful in the short term. Um, so you want to be aware of where you're on that emotional scale so that you can intervene on your own behalf when you're, say, at a level four or five or six, but there's still room to make some adjustments or to recalibrate Um, what you're thinking and feeling or where you're sending or focusing your attention uh, so that you can actually make a meaningful and productive um, change in your stress and anxiety level. So awareness is, of course, step number one. It's non-judgmental in nature. Uh, You want it to be loving awareness where you're just observing it the way you would observe, observe maybe a cloud in the sky or the way you would listen to a song on the radio. Love it. I always say awareness is the first step to turning anything around And what would the next step be? What could someone do to start to self-regulate their emotions if they're at this place where they're feeling anxious or uncertain about something? Yeah. So you want to practice when it's easy. Uh, Too many of us try to sort of learn how to swim when they're in the middle of a storm already. You know, it's a hurricane happening and we're trying to learn how to swim and you don't want to do that if you can help it. So, you know, when you find yourself just living your day and it's easy already. So maybe you, maybe on the weekend, uh, maybe when you're not, um, you know, in the middle of some kind of work problem or a personal problem, but you're just living your life, you're going for a walk or you're out in nature, just becoming aware of sort of what you're feeling and how you're feeling, and then begin to practice um, either self-soothing or just how to emotionally regulate. The, the idea for me in the beginning was just to identify some peace islands. We'll call them peace islands. You can call them happiness islands, but they're just people, places, things, and activities that allow you to feel at ease and to feel peace or at least reduce stress and anxiety with very little time, energy, and effort. If you can identify those people, places, things, and activities, you can spend more time on those peace islands or on those happiness islands 
and you can begin to sort of practice sort of actively and intentionally feeling peace and feeling relaxed. Um, the other part of that is sort of identifying what we might call your peace deserts or your happiness deserts or valleys. Those are people, places, things, and activities that cause you to feel more stressed, more anxious. They're really your triggers. Um, they're just things that make you feel more stressed or anxious or overwhelmed uh, with very little time, energy, or effort. And we want to do what we can to sort of stay off those deserts and stay off those valleys as much as humanly possible. We're going to talk more in a little bit about how to sort of reduce your stress or anxiety, even when you're on one of those uh, deserts or valleys. But I'd say that's the first step is sort of identifying your triggers on one hand and sort of identifying the other people, places, things, and activities that let you feel more peace and happiness and joy or love uh, in the easiest possible fashion on the other hand. I love how you put that. I've actually never heard anyone say that before. Peace islands or peace deserts. I really like that. What you're saying is when someone's just living their life and they're not feeling anxious, they're just happy or just at a neutral place, identifying those activities or people or places that make them feel happy and peaceful. Absolutely. And just writing them down. You know, when you're stressed out, mm -hmm. you're anxious and you're overwhelmed your sort of perception box or your perspective becomes very, very narrow and very closed and sometimes shut down. And so even when you're trying your hardest, um, but you're stressed or out or anxious, it's difficult to come up with things to do that will help. Most everything you come up with doesn't sound like a very good idea. And if you come up with it, you don't tend to follow through on it. So you want to be able to identify these happiness islands and peace islands well in advance of you becoming so overwhelmed or so stressed out or so anxious that you can't actually think your way through it. So yes, for me in the beginning, I noticed that uh, exercise is very helpful for most people. Exercise um, is, is very helpful. It doesn't have to be, you know, all that strenuous, but exercise for sure. Running, especially for me, um, weightlifting. I found that certain people in certain places allowed me to feel more peace and feel more relaxed. So the beach, uh, the ocean, for some people, it's the mountains. It's certainly out in nature. I also found that um, being with uh, animals or small children sometimes was very helpful, especially um, if those children aren't your own. <laughs> that can be helpful, um, depending. Um, and when those children are in a good mood, uh, you know, for me also it was reading. Uh, I like to read books on peace and on spirituality and on happiness and on love and self-love. And, um, and then on the other hand, the deserts for me were things like difficult people, um, certainly narcissists, um, certainly folks that run really hot, that are stressed out and anxious themselves. Uh, you know, work settings weren't great. Being inside, being in dark places wasn't uh, particularly great. Being in loud, noisy places wasn't particularly helpful. Uh, those were all um, sort of deserts uh, or valleys for me in terms of peace and happiness and even self-love. Got it. Okay. So let's say someone is at a place where they're feeling anxious or urgent or uncertain about something. Like they're in that that peace desert, I believe is how you put it. What would you advise them to do if they are already at that place? <laughs> would you have them go to something where they would feel it would be like a peace or happiness island? Or is there something they can do when they're in that desert or that valley? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. So there's sort of a number of levels to this. In the beginning, you know, um, it's important to remember that if you're focused on stressful or anxiety provoking things, you're going to feel stressed out and anxious, right? I would often try to look at things that were very stressful or very anxiety provoking and convince myself that I could feel peace nonetheless. So part of the challenge and opportunity 
with reducing stress and anxiety is to actually focus on things or people or places or activities or aspects of people or things or places or activities that let you feel more peace and feel more relaxed and feel more joyful. So what that means is that you've got to become more disciplined about where you focus your thoughts and where you focus your attention and awareness. Um, in the beginning for me, it was mostly about focusing on that aspect of the other person or the situation or the place or the activity that allowed me to feel more peace. So for instance, as I was in a conversation with a very difficult person, um, I would find that there was something in the room. Maybe it was a bracelet I was wearing. Maybe it was something else in the room that was relatively innocuous. It might be the white walls, but it would be sort of intentionally focusing my attention or awareness on something that made me feel more relaxed and more peaceful. After a while of practicing that, so practicing when it was easy, I found that the best place to focus my attention and awareness was inside of me. And it was uh, not about focusing so much on my thoughts and, you know, everything that was going crazy up there, or even the other person who might be, you know, stressed out and anxious. But instead, it was maybe just my breath, right? So the breath is a great place um, to focus. And I would practice maybe something which I've called a micro-meditation. Micro-meditation is just one breath. So the idea is that for a moment in time, while you're in the middle of a difficult conversation, while you're doing something that's very stressful, you're feeling very anxious, just breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. And you want to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth for joy's sake alone, okay? You're not trying to become the best meditator in the world. You're not trying to be ethical or moral. You're not trying to necessarily fix or change anything in the moment. You're just taking this one breath as though it's the last breath you'll ever take. So you're treating this one moment as though it's the most important moment and the most important breath and the only moment, the only breath that you'll ever have. And so you breathe in through the nose, you let your stomach expand more than normally, and then you breathe out of your mouth and you let your stomach contract or flatten back out more than normally. And the whole point is just to try to enjoy. You just do one of those or two of those. That's very helpful. Some people use box breathing where you can breathe in for a count of four, hold for a count of four, breathe out for a count of four, hold for a count of four, and then repeat. Um, other people do diff different variations. Uh, but I found that for me, uh, once I sort of began to move from focusing on things in my environment or the other person or the place that allowed me to feel more peace and less anxiety, I could move inside myself and focus more on my breath. I might even focus on areas of my body. So a lot of somatic experiencing, for instance, or somatic therapy is all about going to that place in the body that feels more spacious or solid or more relaxed. So when you're feeling especially stressed out and anxious, you'll notice that right away there's an area in your body that feels extraordinarily tight or tense. And you just want to notice that area without judgment. And you might even describe it in your head with um, what kind of, what texture is it? What color is it? Uh, you know, what's the temperature? And then after you've spent a little time just noticing that, then you can sort of go and scan through the rest of your body and look for an area of your body where you feel relaxed, that feels very loose, that feels maybe solid, uh, but that just feels a lot better. And you put your attention and focus there. You can almost retreat into that space or area. Um, you know, and then sort of that third level is going to the breath. But then there's a fourth um, level, and I'll stop here, which is um, what I call just practicing the presence. Uh, and that is, I guess, the deepest practice, which is just um, feeling into the peaceful aliveness that exists in your inside your inner body at all points in times, no matter how stressed or anxious you are. And so if you go deep enough and you let go of all your thoughts and you just dive in to yourself, you know, as deeply and as fully as you can, 
you'll feel sort of like in your hands, in your feet, in your legs, this sort of non-physical energy. Um, it might even feel a little physical to you, but it's a, an energy and it's a peacefully alive or an alive peacefulness inside of you that you can always feel into and almost commune with for its own sake. The more you practice the micro meditation, practicing the presence, somatic experiencing, or intentionally focusing your thoughts and awareness on aspects of people, places, things, and activities that feel better when you focus on them, the better you get at it all. And like a dimmer switch, you start turning up the peace and the relaxation and the joy and the love in your life such that you don't have this snowball effect of stress and anxiety building all day long that eventually ends in some big explosion or a panic attack or an anxiety attack um, or something else. I really like that. That was very helpful for me personally. I was going through that myself. We were chatting a little before we started recording. I'm actually going through a time of pretty high anxiety. As most people know, I'm nine months pregnant. My baby's actually going to be here in a day or two at the time we're recording this. And I'm experiencing all kinds of physical pain. My back is killing me. I can barely walk. And You know, when something like that is like physically in your body, it's so hard to take your attention off of it, isn't it? It's like if something's already been manifested and it's just there all the time, it's just so, it feels so impossible (laughs) to do that. But I was actually able to do that for a second as you were describing that. So I really liked that. Do you want to talk a little more about this non-physical piece that you can connect with. I've actually never heard anyone talk about that before, but I'm really intrigued by that concept. Do you want to share a little more about that? Absolutely. And just to reflect back to you, your profound wisdom and insight there. Yes. um, It is extraordinarily challenging when you're in pain to focus on peace or to focus on an area of the body or part of your life that doesn't feel painful. Um, And that's all of the work really, you know, um, if you would sort of reduce all of spirituality down I think to its very essence, it's about being able to find peace, even in pain. It's being able to find peace, even in stress and anxiety and sort of bring that peace and that relaxation or joy or happiness or love to the foreground and let the pain sort of fall into the background. Um, So in the same way that say that you watch a movie and a big movie screen, let's say you go to a movie theater and when you're caught up in the movie, you're focused on the images on the screen. So one moment it's scary, and the next one it's exciting, and then it's sexy, and then it's sad, and we get caught up in the images. And the images, of course, are unreal. Um, it's not that they're not real images, right? Uh, they are real illusions, so to speak. They're real images, but um, they're just changing all the time. They're ephemeral, they're temporary, just like the pain and the stress and anxiety in our lives. And that movie plays out, those unreal images play out on a screen that is back of it or behind it, that is always immovable and unshakable and unconditional in its peace, love, happiness, self-love, right? So that screen um, isn't affected at all by what happens on the screen. It remains just this big, white, all-welcoming, all-embracing, all-loving, non-judgmental screen. And that screen is really inside of us. In fact, that screen really is us, the true us, the non-physical or spiritual us, And so um, sometimes I think it's easy to think that um, we don't just have a body, but that we are a body, or that we don't just have a mind, but we are a mind. And it's important to go deeper. So practices like meditation and prayer and contemplative prayer and affirmations and japa and all of these spiritual practices really are efforts 
to rediscover or become in touch with again or become aware that you've always been in touch with your true nature, which is peace, love, and happiness. And it's an effort to sort of bring that experience, your true nature, to the foreground and let all the stress and anxiety and the so-called pain slip into the background and maybe even slip away entirely, right? So um, in the beginning, for me, you know, it was like just doing what I could to take action to create more peace and joy and love or happiness, right? So that's just about the islands and the valleys that we discussed before. At some point, you graduate from this idea that peace is about action or only about action because you notice that sometimes you're doing something that should be peaceful, but you feel anxious or stressed out, or you're doing something that should be stressful and anxious, but you feel peace. And so you see this little disconnect. So you're able to go deeper and you graduate from uh, believing that peace is really only about activity or action. And you come to realize or remember that peace is also a state of mind. It's not just a state of action or activity or state of the body. It's a state of mind. So at that point, you start focusing in an intentional way on the most peaceful places, people, and things um, in your environment and in the world at all times, simply to feel better. And you notice that when you feel better, your life seems to go better. You seem to do better. We have lots of empirical data and research to support this idea that when you feel better, life goes better. You make more money, you save more money. Your relationships go a lot better. You're easier to get along with. Other people are easier for you to get along with. Um, you get married earlier, stay married longer, you're happy in all your relationships, whether you're married or not, right? You're in better health. You live six to seven years longer, right? So you graduate to that, but then you discover that even sometimes with the seemingly most peaceful or positive thoughts, you still feel this undercurrent of stress or anxiety. And so you graduate from this idea that peace is really just a state of mind and you come around to realizing or recognizing that state, that peace is really a state of no mind. It's a state of being that when your mind is cool, calm, collected, and quiet, when essentially you're still and silent, you feel this ineffable, inexpressible, indefinable peace, love, and joy without any effort whatsoever. That in the absence of over-analytical thinking and discursive thought, in the absence of worry and scripting and planning and plotting every detail or any detail of your life, you feel and experience and recognize and become aware of your true nature, which is infinite peace and eternal happiness and limitless love. Uh, so the practice then, whether it's contemplative prayer or meditation or affirmations or running, is to sort of re is to experience or rediscover this, we'll call it a flow state. In flow state, you lose a sense of self-consciousness, you lose a sense of time consciousness. So and you become so um, absorbed, engaged, and consumed with what you're doing, you have no interest in how you're doing. And yet somehow you're doing better than ever before. So this flow state we can access. Um, I like to access it these days mostly through contemplative prayer and meditation. For me, it's just repeating a scripture. It can be from any spiritual or religious tradition um, that reminds me that everything I'm looking for, including peace and including rest and relaxation, including abundance and prosperity, including health, exist within me infinitely and eternally as my true nature and that the only thing that is blocking my awareness of that is thoughts so you repeat a little scripture mm -hmm. or an affirmation or something that means something to you and then you try to feel into the truth of that and then you let your mind go as quiet as humanly possible and you just exist in the state of what we'll call no mind it's just a state of being it's just 
being itself, its presence itself. Wow, that is beautiful. I love everything you shared. That was very helpful for me personally right now. So it sounds like what you're saying is peace, love, and joy, all of those feelings that we want to feel is our true nature, but it's thought that often gets in the way. It really is all about where we're putting our focus, isn't it? You just nailed it. I mean, it's, and it, and it is, it's an unveiling. Uh, so we often think that um, peace, love, and happiness or relaxation or a pain-free state is something that we need to create or manufacture or synthesize. Uh, it's not. It's something that's always there. It's infinite and eternally always there as your true spiritual or non-physical self, as the thoughtless, wordless, faceless, formless, infinite, eternal self that we all are, that we all share. Some people call it God or source or infinite intelligence. Sometimes I just call it life because it's, it is life itself. It's formless life. Um, it's formless in nature, although it can take form. That peaceful aliveness that you feel inside your own body is always there. Even now, even if you're feeling stressed out and overwhelmed and anxious or worried about something very big in your life or very small, you can feel into your body in any moment some peaceful aliveness there. And it's like a dimmer switch. We can turn that dimmer, sort of that light up. We can turn that life and that light and that love that we feel on the inside. We can turn it up by just practicing on a consistent basis, some of these peace practices or these self-love practices or these happiness practices. Um, and sometimes we can get support in doing that with from other people. We can find it in spiritual text. We can find it pretty much anywhere. Quite frankly, you can find it if you spend lots of times with um, animals, um, you know, or in nature. Uh, you know, there's a great expression, which I love to remind myself and other people of, which is that um, all of nature is perfectly bl blissful except for human beings, right? Only people have made a problem out of their own existence. You know, it's only human beings that don't experience, um, you know, bliss all the time, despite really experiencing the same uh, misadventures, accidents, illnesses, death, um, losses that the rest of human nature or the rest of nature itself experiences. I mean, all, you know, all the flora and fauna experience loss and death and accidents and misfortune. And yet um, the rest of nature doesn't make a problem of it in the way that we do. They, they, they might suffer it once, they suffer it once, but they don't relive it and pre-live it a thousand times. And so they therefore don't increase their uh, pain and their suffering and their stress and anxiety. In fact, they live in a relatively stress-free or anx um, anxious, anxiety-free state. That's so true. I'm thinking of my cat, Leo, who just has the best life ever. And I always think that, wow, animals really have it all figured out. They just bask in the sun all day and nap. And <laughs> they're just like this pure positive energy and positive expectation. At least that's been my experience. I love being around animals too. That just completely <laughs> eases my anxiety so much. And why is that? Is it just the way our brains are hardwired to survive and solve problems? Why do we tend to focus on what's going wrong or on things that make us feel anxious or uncertain rather than just naturally connecting to this peace, love, and joy that we naturally are. Oh, you bring up such great points, Helena. I couldn't agree with you more, by the way. Um, animals and even small children are uh, gurus. They really are mm -hmm. spiritual teachers and uh, teachers of peace and, and of love and of happiness. Uh, you know, the brain is really wired and built for survival, not necessarily for happiness, Although if you do survive, the chances of being happy, at least in these bodies, goes up dramatically, right? Quite significantly. Mm -hmm. uh, so the brain comes uh, wired with lots of cognitive biases. Um, some of them 
do lend themselves to happiness, um, but a lot of them lend themselves to just helping to support our survival. And so, you know, negativity bias is a good example. You know, negativity bias is a cognitive distortion that the brain is built with. And the idea there is that the negative will always uh, get, uh, not always, but it generally gets more of your time, energy, and attention than uh, the equivalent positive thing in your life. And so you often need about five positive comments, let's say on Instagram, to outweigh that one negative comment. You need five positive experiences in any relationship to outweigh that one negative um, experience that you had, um, you know, just to, just to have a sort of, to sort of survive in terms of the relationship itself or in order to feel okay about your social media or whatnot. And so, um, but we have a lot of control about that. We can be intentional about where we focus. Uh, we don't have to let negativity bias run and rule our lives. So negativity bias is just one. Confirmation bias is another example of a cognitive distortion that can get in the way of us experiencing what I might call the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind or this invincible summer within. Uh, confirmation bias, uh, you mostly see that play out. Well, you see it play out everywhere in politics, in arguments with, between people. What happens is, is that um, most of us look for, um, search out, only believe uh, information that confirms our original opinion, belief, or idea. And the other person on the other side does the same thing. And so even if we are presented, let's say, with an objective piece of data, you know, um, and so you have pro-life people on one side and pro-choice people on the other, and you present this objective piece of data, what you find is that people become more and more, uh, they double down more and more on their original idea, and it's more divided. Um, and so confirmation bias essentially does this. So if you start off with negativity bias, where you're basically feeling that you live in an unfriendly universe, or that people aren't cooperative, or there are no good men out there, or there are no good women out there, you will um, wittingly and unwittingly look for, find, and only believe information and evidence that confirms that belief. So it deepens your stress, your anxiety, your unhappiness, your loneliness. Uh, but there are dozens of cognitive distortions like that built into the brain. The real simple way of saying it is that the prefrontal cortex does a phenomenal job, especially in gave um, people days of keeping us alive. Uh, but in this modern day era, it is a little bit outdated. We're working with like a little bit of outdated software there. And so we can upgrade that software uh, if we just practice some of these peace practices, some of the spiritual practices that people have, some of the health, self-help or personal development activities or practices or exercises that people are familiar with. Um, but the idea is that we have a lot of control about that. and you can, we can all be peaceful and loving and self-loving and happy no matter what. Got it. I really love how you put all of that. I am learning a whole lot of new things here today, which I absolutely love. <laughs> I was curious if you had like a brief exercise or guided visualization or maybe some mantras or affirmations that could help people out who are listening to this. And they might be in that place. I know, like you said, it's probably personal to everybody. But if you don't mind, do you have a couple that have been helpful for you or people you've worked with that sure. have been helpful in the past? That would be great to hear. Great question. Uh, yeah, so I will, um, I'm open to receiving from all sources, <laughs> from all places, mm -hmm. from all people. So I consider, um, you know, all the enlightened people and teachers of the world, um, my people. And so um, some of them come from Christianity or come from the Bible. Um, things like um, thy grace is thy sufficiency. Um, things like um, in uh, presence is the fullness of joy. Uh, things like in quietness and confidence is my strength. Um, I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me, um, uh, uh, things like that, right? Um, there, there are also, uh, oh, well, seek, seek um, the kingdom within, everything else will be added. Um, the idea that the Father and I are one and all that the Father has is mine. Uh, thoughts like these, uh, scriptures like these, things that essentially remind me that everything I'm looking for can be found and can only be found right here in presence in recognizing and realizing and becoming in touch with or in tune with my own presence, which is divine presence, which is the one presence that we all share. Um, in other cases, I sometimes pull, um, I love quotes from uh, Course in Miracles. A Course in Miracles, one of my favorite quotes is, that which is real can't be threatened. That which is unreal doesn't exist. Herein lies the peace of God, right? Um, from Buddhist, um, you know, scripture, I uh, love, um, your only problem is you think there is time. And so you can think about that literally and figuratively, like you don't have time to feel peace. You don't need time to feel peace. Also in peace and peaceful presence, there is no time. Peaceful presence is out of time. Um, the past we might call time. We might call the future time, but in presence, you're in the eternal now, which is out of time. Um, but I find that I'll just pull, um, sort of scriptures or quotes or affirmations from everywhere. Sometimes I'll just repeat a short phrase, like the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. In other words, when your mind is spotless, when it's quiet, there's nothing but sunshine that, you know, uh, shines through uh, brilliantly and beautifully and eternally, um, or the invincible summer within. I remember that there's this invincible summer within that always exists there inside of me and of you and of all of us, and I can access it anytime I want. Um, but my favorite ones, I'd say, are the ones that I feel in the moment the most resonance with, and then I let go of the thought and I try to feel into the truth of it. And I just practice, it's more of a feeling thing than it is a thinking thing. You find yourself repeating affirmations or scriptures or quotes that have you thinking more. That's okay as long as the thinking more is leading you to deeper clarity and deeper resonance around that theme. But ultimately, the end state or the ultimate state that you're looking for is one where you feel into the truth of that affirmation, that quote, that scripture, or that mantra. And it's in that feeling state, which is a thoughtless state, that you'll find you get the best results. That's when magic happens. That's when miracles happen outside of you and inside of you. That's when things all of a sudden and people all of a sudden appear out of nowhere and opportunities show up and your health gets better. Um, so the challenge and opportunity is to find and to use whatever practice exercise or words or thoughts lead you to a wordless, thoughtless, pictureless state of joy, peace, and love. Oh, that is so true. I always say that you could recite affirmations all day long or create a vision board, or write down everything you're grateful for. But if you don't truly believe those things you're saying, if it doesn't get you to this mental or emotional or vibrational place where you're now in alignment with what you want to feel or what you desire, you're kind of working against yourself. So if you say something like the love of my life is right around the corner, or I'm a millionaire, if that causes you to kick in this critical voice in your head that says, no, you're not. What are you talking about? You're unsuccessful in love or you're not good with money or whatever it is, then you're totally working against yourself. So I always say that the only reason to do any of these things is simply because it feels good not to try to make something happen. Because if you're trying to make something happen, you're resonating with the absence of what you want and literally blocking it. I don't know if you agree with that, but 
A hundred percent. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Melinda, it's so good and so poignant and so wise and insightful. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, I've certainly had uh, vision boards over the years and uh, I love, um, you know, reading books on law of attraction and manifestation and they used to call it demonstration and uh, some people just call it faith or prayer. But, you know, the idea and what I discovered over time, and this is after probably breaking many vision boards over my knee because I was so frustrated and annoyed by it all, <laughs> um, was that, um, you know, if it doesn't feel like peace, uh, well, first of all, the reason I want to achieve, accomplish or acquire or experience anything and everything in my life is because I want or expect to feel better as a result of it. So it's a better feeling that I'm ultimately after no matter what or no matter who I'm after. That better feeling I call happiness. You might call peace. You might call joy. You might call abundance or love. You can call prosperity. You can call anything you want. I sometimes also call it simply God or source or alignment or agreement with infant intelligence. When I'm feeling that peace or that love or that happiness, I have what I most want. I have my cake. And then I find that the icing is added in its own good time. And it's added more quickly and easily and effortlessly and enjoyably than it could ever be added otherwise. That state of peace and love and joy and happiness or prosperity or abundance, that inner state is one of non-resistance. And so, so much of the work that we um, do and attempt in an effort to create or attract or demonstrate or manifest something is so full of resistance that, and we're not even aware of it. It feels like a fight. It feels like we're forcing something. Anytime you feel like you're forcing something, you're not actually drawing it to you. You're pushing it away. Right. And so the recognition and realization for me is that, first of all, I need not attract or manifest or create anything from the outside in. That's that is not the game. The game for me is about realizing and recognizing that everything that I ultimately want is within me all the time. And that doesn't mean that sometimes other people or other things or other places aren't channels for what I want but they aren't the source of what I want. The source of what I want is within me. The source of everything and anything that I could want or need or desire, I'm not only one with, but I am. And so when I feel that peace and that love and that joy, I can sit and enjoy simply the peace, the love and the joy. And then without outlining or getting too detailed or too specific about what I want or talking or explaining to the universe, you know, which is all wise and all powerful, like what I need or want in a, in a way that would imply that this all or infinitely intelligent universe doesn't know what I would want or need or desire without doing any of that, letting all that go and saying, you know, the in, if, if, if God exists, if the infant intelligence exists, if life exists, then it must be all wise and all powerful, all present. And that means I can simply relax and let go of all this efforting and simply sit, rest, relax and abide in and as the peace, the love and the joy that I ultimately, that we all ultimately are. And so that peace attracts prosperity, right? When you get the inside right, the outside falls into place. The inside is always right. So it's just coming to a recognition or acknowledgement that it's always right. So really attraction and achievement and uh, alignment and agreement is really an acknowledgement and a recognition of what already is. It's not creating it from the outside in. It's experiencing it as an ever-present reality from the inside out. 
I love that. Now you're a match to it. It makes so much sense. And I talk about that all the time. The fact that the reason we want anything, like you said, is because we feel like we're going to feel really good or be really happy when we have it. So if you can make yourself feel that way right now, that thing you want has to come in or whatever is going to support you or assist you in feeling that way has to show up in your life and come towards you. You're attracting it rather than, I think you called it taking an outside in approach, trying to go out and get certain things, get the partner or the money or whatever, the recognition maybe in order to feel a certain way, which is just this endless cycle. It just doesn't really work. It's not sustainable, right? That You nailed it. I mean, that and that's the difference between trying to create or manifest or attract from the ego versus from love or from happiness or from God or source. If you're trying to effort and you're trying to force, and even if you're focused on demonstrating or manifesting anything other than peace, love, and happiness, you have to know that you're mostly coming from the ego. Even if you're trying to create and attract and manifest peace, love, and happiness itself, you could still be coming from the ego. So the recognition and acknowledgement of being peace, love, and happiness and trying to deepen into that recognition and that realization is a much more enjoyable an effective and efficacious way of bringing all these great things and good things to you. Um, but, you know, even from the ego, you can create really phenomenal and fantastic things in your life. You can make a lot of money and you can have a lot of success and you can attract lots of beautiful people. And the only problem is that when you come from that perspective, when you're trying to shore up this hole or void or emptiness that you feel inside, um, but, in this sort of outside in approach, even though you're calling it law of attraction or manifestation, what you find is that none of those things or people or places ever truly satisfies you. And so you just get caught up in first playing this game of whack-a-mole where you're always trying to just, you know, hit one more little mole on the sort of that Chuck E. Cheese game so that you finally get these tickets again. And this game of attraction and demonstration and manifestation never ends. So you attract one thing and then you realize it's the wrong thing. So now you've got to go back in and do the work again to attract another thing. And then it's just endless. Whereas if you instead go directly to the source for source alone, go directly to God for God alone, go directly to infinite intelligence for infinite intelligence sake alone, just for the peace, love, and happiness that you experience in the presence or in communing with Pete, with source or God or life or infinite intelligence, the same way I would spend time with you or that your husband would spend time with you or that you would spend time with your friend or with your mom or with your dad, not to get something from them, just to simply enjoy being in their presence, being in their company. When you do that with your true self, which we'll call God and source, and you do it only for peace, joy, and love's sake alone, you find that all the rest is added or you find that all the rest is included already. It's already there, and then you see it show up or manifest in all of these beautiful, varied forms in the world. Uh, but yeah, that's a, a very different approach. I think it's one that uh, most of us struggle with because we're just sure that we want this thing more than we want happiness or more than we want mm -hmm. peace. And we might get that thing, but then we find that we're not at peace. We're still stressed out and anxious, or we don't feel very self-loving, or we don't find our the love that we were really after, even though we found the lover. Oh, that's just so true. Probably topic for a whole nother episode. I could just talk forever with you about that. I think one theme that I'm picking up on here when it comes to handling feelings of anxiety or uncertainty is getting out of your head. Basically, I talk so much about getting out of your head and into your body. I think getting out of your head so your thoughts don't get away from you 
can be really helpful, but it's difficult, right? Do you have any tips for people who have a hard time getting out of their head, especially when they're doing something that feels high stakes like dating or <laughs> maybe some work situation where they're anxious or stressed out? Yeah. Uh, so a couple of thoughts there. Um, one is to realize and recognize that you do it all the time already. Um, you, we all do it all the time already. So for at least several hours at night, maybe not the entire eight hours, but while we're asleep and we're in a dreamless state, our mind is cool, calm, quiet, composed, still and silent, right? So you're doing it effortlessly every single night, at least for a few hours when you're not dreaming, believe it or not. So mm -hmm. even those of us who are the worst at it still do it extraordinarily well at times. Even during the day, there are moments when you're in such pleasure or such pain or in such ecstasy or you're running or working out, you're swimming, you're in a flow state and your mind is quiet. Now, of course, the challenge and opportunity for most of us is that we barely recognize these mini gaps. These And these gaps are pregnant with joy and peace and love. Um, these little gaps in our thoughts. Um, so a good example is, um, and this is what the purpose of koans are, right? So you hear things like, what's the sound of one hand clapping in the forest or if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? Or what's 315 times 708? Like, as you even try to do that math, unless you're a savant, you'll find that your mind kind of locks up pretty quickly. And in that little pregnant pause, at first, it doesn't feel like anything. But the more you practice noticing the gap between thoughts, or the, the, the moments when your mind is already still and silent, those gaps will grow bigger and bigger. And you'll also find that they're um, rich with peace, love, and joy already. Now, there are ways to do that more intentionally. One way is simply uh, exercise. So anything that allows you to enter the flow state, uh, for me, it's running. I used to be playing basketball occasionally. Um, you know, sometimes it's weightlifting. Meditation is that. Uh, prayer is that. Anything that allows you to forget yourself, meaning this um, mind and this particular mind and your thoughts, and either get or go into your body or become more aware of your body, as you mentioned there, Helena, which is so beautiful. Um, anything like that will help you do it. And then there's a sort of place you want to go to beyond that, because part of it is even with the breath, it can be a bit of a um, um, obstacle, which is, you know, we have a mind, but we're not our mind. We have a body, but we're not our body. We're something that's mindless and bodyless. We might call it spirit or life itself. So we don't have a life. We are life. So you can be aware of your mind and be aware of your body, but if you can be more aware, not of what you are, but that you are. So in other words, we often say, when somebody says, oh, who are you, Helena? Who are you, Rob? They'll say, you'll say, well, I'm assumed to be mom, or I'm a man, or I'm a woman, or you know, I'm black, or I'm white, or I'm a professional, or I'm this or that. That's true, relatively speaking, but if you would stop at the I am. So what are you? I am. I just exist. So the awareness of your own naked existence, just being aware of it. So before you add any adjectives or any qualifiers or descript descriptive traits around who and what you are, if you would just stop and notice that you're alive, that you're aware, that you exist, just notice that you exist for a moment. If you would just stop right there at the I am presence, that already is your true self. That's already God, that's already consciousness or awareness. So practicing this sort of like naked or blind awareness 
that you exist of your own existence, not what you are, but that you are, we might call that practicing the presence of God. We might call that self-inquiry if we are in the, if we are coming from a, a tradition of non-duality, but that practice of simply noticing that you exist without adding any additional stories or concepts to it and just sort of feeling into that, that right there is probably the most powerful practice you can ever experience or play with or experiment with in your entire life. Um, so it's just the I am presence. One way to get there is just repeating I am, I am, I am, and just noticing that. Um, for me, sometimes I would just simply say, I am that I am, you know, sort of like scripture. So it lets you feel into I am that presence. I am presence itself. Um, so that's, uh, I'd say one way. Um, if that feels too abstract or esoteric, just simply going to the body and feeling into your body, especially feeling into the peaceful aliveness of your body is always a really safe and um, reliable practice. Amazing. I've never heard anyone talk about anything like that before. So I love learning new things here. That again was very helpful for me personally. So thank you for that. I feel like we should maybe just close out on that. That was so powerful. I would love to do so many more episodes with you. I hope you're up for that too, because this was so much fun. And how can people get a hold of you and learn more about what you do or potentially work with you or find your books? I'll include links to all of that in the description or episode details after the replay of this posts. For sure. So you can find uh, me, Rob Mack, at coachrobmack.com. You can also find me on most all social media platforms, probably most consistently Instagram at uh, Rob Mack Official. And you can find both my books, Happiness from the Inside Out and Love from the Inside Out, everywhere great books are sold, including Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And I just want to say to you, Helena, thank you so much for the work you do. It's because of the work that you do and, um, and people who are doing similar work um, that I didn't follow through and kill myself, that I um, found a way out of my depression and found a way out of my stress and anxiety and my loneliness and my self-loathing. And I just want you to know how much of an impact you make on a daily basis uh, with people, including myself. You are such a light and you're full of so much love. And this world uh, would not be what it is without you. I mean, you just are such a powerful, powerful model of love and of happiness and of peace and of joy and of enlightenment. So thank you so much for just allowing me to participate in the conversations and to be your friend. And I would love to continue conversations anytime you want. Thank you so much. Wow. That just made my day and same to you as well. I'm a huge fan of all the videos you put out there on Instagram. I'm there watching them all. I think we're so aligned on so many of these concepts that are really important. And yeah, I'm very thankful to anyone who's put out self-development work too. As a lot of people know, I experienced major depression in my past and was able to heal from so much just from this amazing work. So I'm so happy to be, be able to share other people's work with my audience as well. And this was so much fun. For everyone listening, I'll also include a link to download the Bullhorn podcast app in the description as well, if you want to join my live broadcasts and get your personal questions answered, I'm still going live every other Tuesday at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, which is 3 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. Thank you so much again. This was great, and I hope we can do this again very soon.
If you're tired of struggling in your love life and you want a proven system to get into and maintain a relationship where you're consistently loved, valued, and cherished, go to forever1234.com. Again, that's forever1234.com.